They're talking us on our own damn system. They gotta be close. I'll have my men tear this airport apart. Just in the nick of time, huh? Hey, McLean, I got a first-class unit here, SWAT team and all. We don't need any Monday morning quarterbacks. Hey, forget Monday morning. My wife saw one of those damn planes these guys are fooling with. That puts me on the playing field. And if you'd have moved your fat feet when I told you to, we wouldn't be hip-deep in snow right now, That's right? it. Security, you're out of here. Go. Welcome to the first ever episode of Trimming the Movie Fat, the podcast where we trim films from franchises that don't belong. I'm Stephen Nicholson. And I'm Paul Nicholson. And yippee-ki-yay, mofos, we're taking on action legend John McClane and his five Die Hard movies. Which movies will survive the cull? Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance... A Good Day to Die Hard, which is incidentally the name of Ron Jeremy's autobiography. Keep listening to find out. We'll also share some Die Hard movie facts, provide an overview of each movie, and share our thoughts on each. So joining us on the journey to Nakatomi Plaza are our own three action heroes, Davy Mellon, Ross Braidwood and Luke Nicholson. How are you guys? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're kind of a bit COVID ravaged just now, aren't we? So Luke and Davy, you've got COVID. Paul, you're yeah. unwell, but don't That's have right. it. Yeah, so uh, Ross, I think we better steer well clear of these guys. I've got a hangover, I've got a splitting headache. Have you? <laughs> no, not really. I was going, I to, I I was going to say, where, where are you allowed to go? <laughs> <laughs> so as in preparation for today's episode, I did ask you all to prepare uh, an interesting movie fact to share. So we'll maybe start with uh, you, Roscoe. Okay, cool. Uh, right. Hello, <laughs> Start again. Paranormal activity is the most profitable film of all time. A return on investment of 19,758%. It cost 60,000 to make, 400,000, so that was $60,000 to make, $400,000 to market it, and it made $89 million. I don't know if that's worldwide or just in America, but I think it just shows you if you can get it right. It can be very profitable. Not bad. Now. Not bad at all. Paul, do you have an interesting fact? Uh, a Good Day to Die Hard is the first Die Hard film to be based on its own original screenplay and not derived from a pre existing work. Okay, you Luke. You said Hollywood was out of ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, what's your interesting fact? Clint Eastwood planned to play John McClane. Oh really? That's right, yeah. Uh, before, um, what's the other guy called? Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis. Oh, didn't know that. Okay, Davy, you got one? Yep. Um, Psycho is the first US film to feature a toilet flushing. Mmm, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, my one is that did you know in the Truman Show you can see on Truman's kitchen table vitamin D tablets? Which, when you think about it, he would need because he's never actually been out in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. You did tell me that. I've stolen it. It's mine. <laughs> So, guys, um, other than the gratuitous nudity of William Sadler posing in the mirror in Die Hard 2, uh, do you have a favourite scene from the five movies? Uh, Ross, we'll start with you. No, you've got to ask me that, Stephen. Um, <laughs> Throw that at you. Favourite scene? It's probably, it's probably the, the, the scene with uh, Hans Gruber and Joe McLean. Just that whole part, you know, it's probably more than one scene, but just where they are together. You're one of them. You're one of them. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Bill, <laughs> play. Uh, I, I, that, that would probably rank in terms of the, I, uh, just the, the two, the two main characters coming together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Excellent stuff, Davy. Um, I would say it tough to be, uh, the original, where the bike robber terrorist got thrown out the window and landed on the policeman's car <laughs> and it all just goes mental over there and then John McLean's like welcome to the party pal <laughs> yeah no it's good iconic uh, Luke what about you probably just um, like the terrorists just seeing like what they've planned and just taking us through like what they were uh, planning to do and stuff I just like I like that yeah, uh, Luke. Uh, sorry, no, not Luke. Paul. Probably, uh, uh, Mr. Takagi won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> I just thought it was just hilarious. Just Alan Rick, because it was apparently it was his it was his breakthrough film. I mean, he was forty one yeah. at the time, but uh, I just thought it was just he was just brilliant in that kind of line, typified. Typified him in that film. I actually found out Paul that was his first film. Because he was a theatre actor in right, England. Okay. It was actually his first film. First official film. I checked, I found out the night was going when I was looking for Die Hard Facts. So. A great debut. Oh, <laughs> one of the greatest movie villains of all time. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Hans, Hans Gruber down. <laughs> mm. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, for, for me, uh, the, the two that spring to mind, one's a funny one, one's more a dramatic one, but the, the funny one is, which just always makes me laugh, is from the original. Uh, yeah, it's Agent Johnson. No, the other one. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like that. Uh, made, I, I made a reappearance in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Or was it Die yes, Hard Four Point Oh? That's right. Uh, no, I think uh, it was. The it was yeah, it's <laughs> four. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Agent, Johnson. Agent Johnson. And he just looks up like what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but the other, well, the, my overall favourite scene is actually when uh, Hans Gruber falls uh, at the the end of Die Hard, and and do you know what the the special effects for that uh, still hold up today? It's brilliant the way they've done that mm. with um, with uh, with Alan Rickman falling there. Uh, but yeah, it's a, such an iconic scene, isn't it? And you get it shown again in Die Hard Three as well. Well, they they actually dropped him for real in that. Like into like a blue screen like um, like airbag. They like dropped him from forty feet. <laughs> well, and they, told, and they told him right, we're going to drop you like three, two, one, go. But yeah. the stuntman told the when it was holding the rope like do it in one. So it's like three, two, one, and then they dropped him. So he was expecting <laughs> on a second. And his face was like pure terror, and that's where that came from. 
it's great. It, it's, it's brilliant. It really, really is. Because you see a lot of effects where somebody's throwing. Yeah. So obviously fake. That looks absolutely spot on still to this day. It really does. Really good, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's my favourite, uh, I think, scene. Uh, a great end to a great villain. So the Die Hard film series, critically and commercially successful and popular action film series released by 20th Century Fox. The series is composed of the five Die Hard films, which are Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, or Die Hard 4.0, and the final one, A Good Day to Die Hard, which all follow reluctant hero John McClane as he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and must fight terrorists and save his loved ones. Combined, all films have so far grossed over 1.2 billion US dollars, from the original released in 1988 to the fifth film release in 2013. Mayday, mayday, anyone copying Channel 9? This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? You know what you get for being a hero? It's shot at. You are about to have a very bad day. Tell me about it. Do you really think you have a chance, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Are you gonna tell me that he's gonna give a damn about what you do to him if he makes it out of there alive? Simon says it's time to talk about each movie. So, before we we actually go through the movies in chronological order and and just give our thoughts on each, uh, do you guys have a diehard fact you can share uh, with us? So I'll maybe kick us off. My uh, my my diehard fact is: uh, Do you remember that Bruce Willis played? Well, he was playing John McClane in the comedy spoof *Loaded Weapon*, which I think came out in 1993. Uh, so I don't think he's called John McClane in it, but he's playing John McClane. But it's quite funny, and Samuel L. Jackson was in that as well. He was also his co-star later on in the third *Die Hard* movie. Uh, David, you got a die-hard fact? It's uh, the character John McLean was technically played originally by Frank Sinatra <laughs> in a movie called The Detective. And Frank asked for a, I think it was Jack McClellan or something like that. Is the name of the, the character. But Frank Sinatra asked um, 
the writer of the book to do a sequel, uh, which took about 10 years to, to write, uh, by which time uh, Frankie Moy was past it, so <laughs> it, it got moved on and they changed the character's name to John McLean. There we go, good one, good one. Um, Paul? Yeah, the guy that plays Ellis, actor called Hart Bochter, and for me, he's maybe the best part of the film. Apparently, he improvised that famous line, Hans Booby, I'm your shining knight. So apparently, Alan Rickman's confused reaction was, was genuine, because he just made it up on the spot. So the reaction was authentic. So was John, how can you say that after everything we've been for, John? John, John, and John. Booby. <laughs> uh, Roscoe? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 film Die Hard itself, the film was adapted from a 1979 Roderick Thorpe crime novel called Nothing Lasts Forever. Thank you. And uh, Luke, have you got one? My fact is, Die Hard's Nakatomi Plaza is actually Fox Plaza. That's a good one. Yep. So that yeah, is good. That was under construction at the time. Yep. The, the 20th Century Fox building is still there. Uh, obviously not called. They, sh- they should have renamed it, shouldn't they? Nakatomi. <laughs> they just should have. They've seized a building and taken hostages. One man has managed to escape and is trapped inside. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. John McClane didn't want to be a hero. Send the police now! But he's the only chance they've got. Bruce Willis in Die Hard. For his stories of sheer adventure. Rated R. Now playing in selected cities. Starts Wednesday, July 20th at theaters everywhere. Uh, I don't remember this count two, count three thing. I just remember that, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I, I looked at the faces of some slightly incredulous producers when I said that I would do it myself. <laughs> and it was being dropped from about 40 feet, as I recall. And of course, this because this was in the days of there wasn't any CGI. So uh, it was, let's drop the actor. Um, I hope that he doesn't spin around in the middle of the pole and land on his head and kill himself. Uh, they were very careful to make it my very last shot on the film. And you got just a glimpse there of the guy in the beard, that's Alan Rickman, who plays the villain and who's really the most interesting character in the movie, kind of an intellectual uh, guy with delusions of superiority. Die Hard has a lot of action scenes like the one on the roof. So many of them, you're amazed the skyscraper doesn't turn into the towering inferno. They're dropping explosives down the elevator shaft and whole floors are being blown apart. But you can also see there, I think, one of the big weaknesses of the movie, and that's the idiotic behavior of the Los Angeles Police Department. There was one character in this movie, a deputy chief, whose actions are so stupid and so unmotivated and wrong-headed that finally he just brings the movie to a stop every time he opens his mouth. Bad writing. He always says the wrong thing. He understands nothing. And with a movie like this, once you start picking out the loopholes, and there are a lot of them, it doesn't matter how good the stunts or the special effects are, or even how good Bruce Willis is. You just can't stay interested. I did stay interested because I saw this as really a mano a mano between 
Bruce Willis, who I think is very good in the film, and Alan Rickman, who is really quite devilish and quite sinister and threatening. And I also like the fact that it is held in the skyscraper, so there is some claustrophobia involving this terrorist, seeming terrorist attack. There's also a byplay relationship between Willis and his uh, woman, his former wife, and they want to get that going. She's one of the people that's being captured. But basically, I thought of two guys trapped in a tower trying to fight it out, and I bought the film. Well, what about all the cops on the ground? What about this deputy? But they stay away from them. They stay away. They stay away from him. Willis is brought down to the ground. Yes. Which is a miracle, considering that all of the elevator shafts have been dynamited. I followed him all the way through. The cop is standing there saying, "We're going to bill you for all the damage you've caused." There are always. Grown at things. There are idiotic cops in the Dirty Harry movies too, and you laugh at them. Come on, because Harry's smarter. This is not an idiotic cop. This is idiotic writing to make a cop like this when it would have been better if he just pushed the action forward instead of constantly being wrong-headed. One supporting character, two very interesting lead characters. I like the movie. So Die Hard, New York policeman John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is visiting his estranged wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, and his two children on Christmas Eve. He joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned business she works for. But the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists who take over the exclusive high-rise and everyone in it. Very soon, McLean realises that there's no one to save the hostages but him. So guys, this, uh, the original movie grossed $140 million worldwide back in 1988, and it was the 10th highest grossing movie of that year. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 94% fresh rating score. On IMDb, it has a 72 out of 100 critic meta score. Uh, on Rotten Tomato, for its audience score, it's also 94%, so scores really highly. And on IMDb, audience rating out of 10, it has an 8.2 score. So really good scores all around. And the last thing I'll say is it is one of the most influential films of the 1980s. Die Hard Hard served as a blueprint for action films that came after, especially throughout the 1990s. The term Die Hard on a or in a has become a shorthand to describe a lone everyman hero who must overcome an overwhelming opposing force in a relatively small and confined location. So it's a recognised classic. Paul, when and where did you first see it? And tell us what you think of uh, Die Hard. Oh, it's one of my favourite films. It's an absolute classic. And so the first time I saw it was, it was just literally months. Remember we saw it, we got it from our local video shop. Basil and Sons, give them a wee plug there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it would have been 1990, and Die Hard 2 was just coming out maybe a month after it. So that point, when we rented Die Hard, the original movie out, Die Hard 2 was coming out maybe like the month after it, so we wanted to watch that first. I remember me, you and Dad watching it, or Granddad for you, Luke, uh, and just we just thought it was brilliant. And then, like, about a month later, as I say, we went to see uh, Die Hard 2, Die Harder uh, at, the, at the cinema. But no, absolutely brilliant film. Absolutely one of the best. Okay. Uh, Roscoe, what about you? So I see that, I, I think it was at my auntie's, was the, I mean, back in the, back in the 80s, we didn't really have a video 
player, video, uh, yeah, video player. And so you would tend to watch films uh, of my aunt and uncles, um, generally during sort of summer, summer holidays. So I remember seeing it then, and it probably would have been a year after, because it's normally a year after cinema, isn't it? They, they came out in video. So we'd have been probably 89 that I'd seen it, um, and that's been it from there. And then I love for that film. And it's just an absolute classic. I mean, I think it's probably hard to say that anything's better that, and since it's been released in terms of an action film that's a bit far-fetched, but not too over the top, but also very funny. And I think that's the thing that what's probably quite underrated about the film is, is how actually funny it is. It's got a brilliant script. And another underrated thing is the cameos. It's got loads of these characters that make cameos, whether it be Dwayne T. Robinson, the two FBI guys, um, and obviously the the, the 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 bad guys as well, and Hans Gruber. So it's just a trip. It's a great movie. And I just I'm really struggling to think there's anything that's come close to it in the last thirty years. Thanks, Ross. Uh, what about you, Davy? Um, I genuinely don't know when the the first time I've seen Die Hard was. Um, I remember the first. The first one I actually watched in the series was like Die Hard 2 back in Sky Movies um, back in the, must have been the early 90s, uh, must have been just after it came out and thought, oh, this is tremendous. Um, then I seen, I think I think I seen the third one before I seen the first one as well, because uh, that was, um, I actually seen that like when it was out of the cinema, but it was uh, the cinema on a boat going to, a ferry going to France at the time, so what what, what year was that? Was that like 94 or something like that? 95. 95, so, yeah. uh, so not, I don't think it'd be long after that when I finally got around to seeing the original and then just loving it so much, like, uh, like so I always thought the first, uh, the second one was uh, the pin, such a great action movie, but then seeing the original going, ah, this is actually... This is how it should be done. Um, but so they were probably talking about the mid nineties, and and I think um, I actually won the Die Hard trilogy on DVD for uh, writing into a film magazine to complain about something that they'd done, and I got the letter of the month, and they like sent me the Die Hard trilogy. So nice. I basically watched the uh, Die Hard every Christmas since then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which you're talking about. That's quite a bit about <clears throat> 20 years now, more than 20 years. Very good. Thanks, Davy. And we're bringing the, 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 the youth to the podcast tonight with Luke. So, Luke, you've just watched all the Die Hard movies for the yeah. first year. You're a teenager. You've just watched all yeah. five Die Hard movies for the first about time. Five days ago. Yeah. So you've, 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 you've been studying up for tonight. Uh, <laughs> so tell us what you thought about the original Die Hard movie. Um, I think it was the, probably the, well, definitely the best out of the, out of the five movies. And my favourite part about it, I think, is um, that he is really just a cop and he's not like some, you know, big Rambo character. He's just a, I don't know, just a policeman. And he's just trying to do his best to take down these terrorists. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. What do you like about the movie? Um, the characters, I think. I think the the dynamic between 
um, the the main villain and uh, John McClane. I think that's probably my favourite part about the movie. And uh, yeah, that's my favourite. Okay, part. thanks for that, Luke. <clears throat> for me, yeah, I mean, it's 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 arguably the greatest action movie of all time, undoubtedly uh, one of the greatest movies of all time, and. Paul obviously already explained when I first seen it, uh, not long before seeing Die Hard 2 in the cinema, and it's, yeah, just superb. Um, it's, it's like the filmmakers had this cauldron and they threw in all these magical ingredients which mixed together perfectly and out popped a classic. It's a good bit of fantasy, you know, running around a high-rise office building destroying things. How many of us wanted to work in an office after seeing that? Because it must be so exciting working in an office. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's got a great hero. Uh, John McClane, Bruce Willis was born to play the role. He's, he's tough but vulnerable and he, he's witty. You know, it's an all-time classic action hero was born here. Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber, one of the, the great movie villains. Smart, evil and funny. Um, and because you didn't know who he was prior to this, you actually did think he was German. I uh, didn't realise he was English. Uh, it's brilliantly directed by John McTiernan, uh, whose previous movie was Predator, and his next movie was The Hunt for Red October. That's that's not a bad hat trick, is it? <laughs> um, uh, so the, the film looks fantastic, thanks to cinematographer Jan de Bont who would later go on to direct the, the action classic Speed, starring Keanu Reeves. Die Hard on a Bus. Die Hard on a Bus, basically, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the unsung heroes of the, the, the first three Die Hard movies is Michael Kamen. His score for the movies, it, it's just not Die Hard when it's not Michael Kamen. His score for the movie is brilliant. And obviously you have that great use of, of, of Let It Snow, the song Let It Snow at the end, which is really come to symbolise Christmas, even though it doesn't mention Christmas at all in the lyrics. Um, but it's the script and, and what that gives the supporting cast to work with, which truly elevates it. It's fantastic. Even the small roles are memorable in it. And there's just some great dialogue. We've already mentioned Ellis trying to pretend to be uh, John McLean's friend and getting a Coke after having some Coke. <laughs> um, you know, Agent Johnson and Johnson. No, the other one. Uh, Thornburg, the, the reporter, is just a brilliant, uh, sneaky individual. Um, you know, the, the, who's driving the car, Stevie Wonder? Uh, and one, again, another brilliant character in it, Dwayne T. Robinson. <laughs> right? The police captain is Bipikaram with John McClane as comedy gold. Uh, another bit I love the crack commando unit with the, the commando. <laughs> Pricking his finger. Oh, the macho guys, yeah. <laughs> Ow! Yeah, I mean, uh, brilliant. Tough guys and all that, yeah. Belt, it? <laughs> oh, I love that. Just a small thing there. Uh, and uh, I think what's really, really good about this film as well is that the terrorists are all give, given their own little moments to shine. They're not just faceless. They've all got their own little character beats. Uh, you know, the, the computer guy, the quarterback is toast, or the boy at reception stealing chocolate, waiting for the commandos uh, coming. <laughs> uh, the fake receptionist guy talking about the football game and everything. So 
Uh, Hugh, the, Hugh, the guy looked like Hugh Lewis. Yeah, yeah, he really does. <laughs> uh, they've yeah. all, all got their little moments to shine. So, yeah, great story in action, full of quotable lines. And, yes, it is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, we're going to go around everyone now to decide whether it's a prime cut or awful. So does it deserve to remain in the series? So, uh, Luke, I'm going to start with you. Should this remain in the series it should be the only one in the series no that's it I mean Ooh. I forgot controversial <laughs> I, 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 I forgot the second one I, I forgot okay well, so are you saying Die Hard should remain in the series yeah excellent Davy. Uh, oh yes Paul yes big thumbs up mm-hmm. Roscoe <laughs> No. Uh, look, you took the words out of my mouth exactly. It should just be one. Yes. Um, but yes, definitely. 100%. Uh, it's going to be a clean sweep because, yep, Die Hard should definitely be in this series. The Ching Cowboy. Cowboy. So when the original Die Hard came out, um, they were actually writing the script or rewriting the script at the same time that we were filming it. So they hadn't really figured out a way to how, how did the bad guys escape. Mm. And they, at the end, they came up with the fact that, right, what they're going to do is they're going to blow up the roof and they've got a fake ambulance that is going to steal them away. So the fake ambulance comes out of the back of the truck, uh, the truck which they arrive in. But because he hadn't written that at the time, if you watch the start of the movie when uh, all the terrorists come out of the truck, there is no ambulance in that truck. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would fit in there either. Well, it did because it came out in the end, but there was no space for 10 terrorists in the back with an ambulance. Explain. They're gonna run out of fuel in 90 minutes. LA cop John McLean is back. What are you gonna do? Whatever I can. Because old habits die hard. We are just up to our neck in terrorists again, John. On July 4th, Die Harder. Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2, rated R. First, for you. Now, here we have a different director, Mm -hmm. Benny Harlan. First one was John McTiernan. One is a Brit. One is from Finland. Um, For you, what was the biggest difference about doing Die Hard 2? Well, you know, it was a a very similar experience. Um, Both uh, Rennie and John are are very, very talented, you know, um, in a a, uh, technical sense. It was a very, uh, you know, a very collaborative um, effort, um, and it was the same, same, uh, you know, same crew. So it was, it was like, it was like the family getting together again. You know, we, um, we knew what what uh, story we wanted to tell, and, and kind of went after it. I think, I think the real challenge was, was seeing whether or not we could, whether or not we could top the first film. And I guess that's that'll be up to someone else to decide, but. Uh, I, I like this film a lot. 
I really mean that comparison with the James Bond films in terms of entertainment value. Die Hard 2 combines big-scale special effects and also quiet moments with its hero and a solid sense of humor in the style of the Bond pictures. Director Rennie Harlan, originally from Finland, I think he made Nightmare on Elm Street 4 previous to this. Here he's making his major filmmaking debut. He deserves congratulations, I think, for creating a convincing world at the airport. Great special effects involving the control tower and the landing field and Bruce Willis, that solitary figure out in the snow at night fighting against the big jets and hordes of mercenaries. Doug Richardson and Steven D'Souza have written a witty script, too. I was mightily impressed by every aspect of this movie. All I can say after having thought this summer was not that special is thank you to all involved. Uh, I liked it very much, too. It's not the best movie of the summer. Uh, it's not as original as Dick Tracy, for one thing. But it is a very good movie, and one of the things that's best about it, and also scariest about it, is how convincing it is in terms of its aircraft footage. There was a crash in this movie that looked all too convincing to yes. real. I think that this movie is going to be severely edited before it's shown in in-flight entertainment systems. And there's another scene where Willis ejects from a cockpit. Fabulous. And you remember the scene? He, he, he flies up until his face is a foot from I the know. camera. Uh, like this and then back down again and you think what a place to put you know it's special effects but still what a place to put the point of view what a great shot thank great. you for going to the trouble of giving us yes. this shot and I agree with you that the movie from beginning to end for my money is way superior to the original Die Hard which oh I like that too uh, but this is it's good but it, it's fun you know this is really something special I, yeah. I sat there aghast with pleasure mm -hmm. Is that possible? No, but uh, anyway, I know what you're trying to say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the, when, I, when I saw the first shot outside the control tower, and there's special effects involved there, too, mm -hmm. uh, this is a terrific achievement. Now, there are enormous holes in the plot of this movie, of course, including the fact that you wouldn't have the airplane circling for two hours, and they could all, of course, use their own radios to reach other ground radio stations uh -huh. so that the entire crisis at the airport is completely nonsensical, but what the heck? Well, I, I, I bought... The, the picture, I, that was the one thing that I was thinking is that they could obviously get to other airports, the other yeah, planes uh, that are being held there. But uh, other than that, I think this is uh, superb. Okay, coming up next, Bill Cosby is Ghost Dad. Sometimes you see him. Let's move on to Die Hard 2, uh, which was from 1990. So the story for this one, a year after his heroics in L.A., Detective John McClane is mixed up in another terrorist plot, this time at Washington Dallas International Airport, where he is waiting for his wife. That same night, South American political and drug profiteer Raymond Esperanzo, played by Franco Nero, is arriving in U.S. custody. McLean takes action when a, a treasonous ex-colonel, played by William Sadler, seizes control of the airport, threatening to crash every inbound flight unless Esperanzo is freed. So the gross for this one at the cinema was $240 million. Worldwide, which was almost double the take of the original movie two years prior. It was the eighth highest grossing movie in the US in 1990, just behind Arnold Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, from the critics, it had a 69% fresh score, which was 25% down on Die Hard. Uh, on IMDb, uh, the critics have that as 67 out of 100 on their meta score. For the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 70% audience score, which is great. And on IMDb, very similar, it's got a 7.1 
rating, which is very strong. Um, and there's a bit of a summary. Um, a review here said it lacks the fresh thrills of its predecessor, but Die Hard 2 still works as an over-the-top and reasonably taut big-budget sequel with plenty of set pieces to paper over the plot deficiencies. So, Luke, I'm going to start with you this time. What did you think of the second Die Hard movie? I think it was a, a solid action movie. I'd watch it again. Okay, anything in particular you liked about it? Um, probably the the terrace again. I just uh, really liked their, their planning stuff and just how they were controlling the whole airport and um, how they were like, I don't know, like twisting what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was probably my favourite part about the, the second movie. Okay, thanks for that, Luke. Davey, you a fan of... Uh, the second one? Yeah, well, as I was saying earlier, it was, it was actually the first one that I ever saw, and um, because I didn't have the um, the original in my head, like, I, I totally loved it at the time. Um, like, the, the, the acting, the, the comedy, the, the changing the, the height of the runway to, like, 100 metres below sea level was, like, the, it was really tense. So I, I really enjoyed it from that that perspective. Um, it's not one of the ones that I've watched subsequently over the years, like I would normally do with, with Die Hard. So, but I have watched a couple of times. But rewatching it now, it's, it does seem a little bit hammy, and like some of it has gone a bit over the top. Um, Bruce Willis talking to himself, it really sticks out as being not genuine like it does feel in the, in the first film. I think that's down to having Rennie Harlan as the director of the film who like notoriously made one of the worst films of all time and the Cutthroat Island or something and he just that's the disappeared one. off a radar after after that. So um <clears throat> looking at looking back on it with uh, the other films around it, I, I would say it's probably like my my, my third favourite at the time, but like even just stuff like um, they're so obvious when you watch it when they try to do the uh, like the the fake ammunition where you see them putting magazines in with like big blue tape around it and then big red tape for it is live. You think paying more attention like that that's just such such a giveaway. It's so obvious. Um, you think uh, Alec Baldwin might have liked some blue tape or red tape on his gun <laughs> in his most recent movie where he actually did shoot someone. But uh, no, all in all, it was a, like, a great action thriller, but um, I definitely loved it more at the time when I originally watched it than looking back on it now. Davey, knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Rennie. Rennie who? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, Roscoe. You're a fan of Die Hard too. I remember when it, when, it, when it first came out, watched it on video and uh, really enjoyed it. And it's probably one of the ones where first some Beverly's Cop too as well. And uh, you watch it years later, I think it's good, it's solid, it's a decent sequel, but maybe uh, just not quite anywhere near the the original. But I mean, it's got it's got similar things. I mean, I think the the bad guys is it. Try to think of the, the is, is it William Sadler? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, uh, is, 
uh, who was in Shawshank Redemption. Uh, he's actually a pretty decent baddie uh, in it. Um, and that's probably one of the issues with some of the other ones where the baddie's just not strong So I think he was pretty decent in it. Um, the story, it's, I suppose it feels a bit more like a Christmas movie because you've got snow and it's in winter time and it's obviously the east coast, the um, eastern side of the USA. Um, so there's been, there's, there's, there's plenty of good parts in it. There's, the shootout in the escalator is pretty decent. The shootout at the, at the, at the almost like the HQ, I think, and the snow, and the snowmobiles and all that. So some good, there's some good bits in it. Um, and the best, I suppose the best scene for me is a bit at the end when he says, Yippee Kimo Savvy. And, um, <laughs> and with a lighter, and obviously that blows up the, the plane. So that's, that's pretty tasty. Uh, pretty tasty bit in it. Um, so it's, it's quite moments, um, in it. Um, and yeah, it could have been a lot worse than, than, than it was. And it's also got Dennis Franz in it for anybody who watched NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been, pretty much played the same character after that in NYPD Blue. So he's in that. Um, and I think again, probably one of the first or, or, or not many, uh, films he was actually in. So. <coughs> I remember him being in it, and obviously a lot of, a lot of swearing. And that was the other thing I, I, I realised about Die Hard 2. I think there was more swearing in it than there was in, in the original Die Hard. But yeah, solid sequel, but not a classic. I think, Ross, uh, what happened is the... I can't remember if it was the cinema and the video cuts were slightly different. There was less swearing, if I remember correctly, maybe in the theatrical cut. Um, and then I think the video one maybe put back the swearing and the rating got changed because of that, or vice versa. So yeah. you're, you're right, yeah. Do you remember, Paul? I think it was, a, it was a 15 in the cinema and an 18 on video. Cause no, I was only the... I thought it was only the ring, because I remember no, watching No, it was because I, I got into it and I wasn't 15. <laughs> That's how I know. <laughs> I, think, I think I remember watching it on, like, either BBC or ITV back in the day when they wouldn't allow swearing on oh, the telly, yeah. so... Yeah, watching well, Dumpfair yeah. and so I think that's where that Yippee Kaye and Timo Savvy comes from. <laughs> that was never in the, in the, in the They were brilliant. The, the, the dodgy uh, editing. Uh, <laughs> awful. Hilarious. Awful. I was going to say, Stephen, actually, just the, in terms of question around um, the first thing you watched, the first thing I watched it was that John Pirate. It was a pirate copy. It wasn't the best copy in the world. So but that was back in the day where that's yeah, you had to kind of rely on that to see things. Um, before they're out in cinema, or you can go see it in cinema. So that was, uh, I remember yeah, that as well. Yeah. What about uh, Paul? You a fan of Die Hard too? I think it's good. It's it's a good film. It's not like for me the first film's like a classic. And although yeah, you could say it's a Christmas film. It's a film that you could watch any time really. Whereas the second one feels a bit more, pretty much as a Christmas movie more. Uh, the that the, the baddie's good in it, Colonel Stewart. Uh, I have to say, the, the bits about are the comedic elements. I remember laughing my head off in the cinema, the bit where uh, she says, Can I have a, cu- a couple of words, Colonel Stewart? I'll give you two. <laughs> I'm not going to mention them here, but it was just really funny. Uh, at, at, like, just at the cinema, that happening. And, uh, and I thought it was good, and I think. I think at the time seeing it as well, it was quite recent from the first one. You know, it was only two years after it, so it felt like it was it was still quite fresh. 
Whereas when you look back now, it's not aged as well as maybe the first one. And, uh, yeah, just, just the, yeah, good set pieces in it. And the bit that's a bit ridiculous is where he, he's in the cockpit and they're throwing uh, grenades and then he pulls the ejector seat and goes away in the air and stuff. And, but maybe that's part of the fun of it. But, uh, a good, a good film, a good sequel. Pro, you know, much better than what was to follow, put it that way. <laughs> it, it did take a lot of time for those grenades to blow up. I, I, when I was watching it, uh, the took day, two years. It was like, <laughs> when are these grenades going to blow up? <laughs> yeah, Luke had just said the same thing to me this afternoon. <laughs> and what was that all about? Those grenades. I mean, would would terrorists really have grenades that <laughs> took thirty seconds to go off? <laughs> well, Bruce Willis had a by the time he's going off. By the way, I mean, I I've never thrown one to blow. <laughs> That's right, you're right, Paul. Bruce Willis went bald by the time the grenades went off. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. For uh, for me, actually, uh, I love this movie. Um, I think it was it a Saturday morning that the Odium was seen it, uh, uh, Paul? Uh, it was at the Odeon, I remember that. Yeah. It was at the Odeon. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know it's basically Die Hard in an airport. Uh, if it's Christmas, terrorists seize control of property, they want something, local law enforcement is a joke, John McClane's wife is in danger because of an incident, and John McClane is the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time, often terrorists in a very interesting way so it's it's, it's, in a lot of ways it's the first one in an airport Uh, but it's great entertainment like the first movie it looks fabulous it sounds great for another score by Michael Kamen it's expertly directed by Rennie Harlan Uh, I think Marv the airport janitor is good fun uh, as is the return of Thornburg Uh, I love it when he gets zapped on the plane and the old woman walks over him at the end Uh, Fred Thompson brings uh, real Weariness and gravitas to Trudeau, the head air traffic controller. Um, and Lorenzo is a, a great douchebag of a police captain. <laughs> uh, the negatives. Uh, now, I like William Sadler. William Sadler is actually an excellent actor, but his Colonel Stewart is no Hans Gruber. Uh, and what's with the gratuitous naked scene at the beginning? I don't know. Is that, I don't know. Do, do you guys jump out of bed in the morning naked and kind of practice martial arts naked in front of your mirrors, or just me that doesn't do that? It's Every morning, without fail. Balance and poise, and can throw those moves on the wings of an aeroplane. Better take off. <laughs> You've got to practice. What you, you never know when that might happen. So I, you know, take take my hat off to him. But at least I'm wearing the hat. Um, the terrorists are not as interesting as the ones from the first movie. They've not got as much individuality. Although a number of them would go on to become prominent actors. Not least uh, Robert Patrick. Obviously, would go on to play the evil Terminator in Terminator Two and, and lots of other roles. Uh, and John Leguizamo um, as well. Uh, and the, the oh. bit, yeah, he's one of the terrorist guys, yeah. Oh, um, and I think the return of Powell in this from Die Hard 1 feels a little bit shoehorned in, but, you know. Oh, but, oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Bruce Willis brings action and laughs again in his McLean, and we're happy to ride along with him, and I have a great time watching this Christmas movie. And of course, this would be, this, this would be the last one that you'd see Holly McLean. That's right. Yes. That's right. Okay, let's go around everybody again to see if we decide uh, if it remains in the series or not. So I'll go first this time. Should Die Hard 2 be in here? Absolutely. 
Paul? Yes. Luke? Yeah. Ross? It's a 10 for me. And Davey? Oh, yes. So another clean sweep. So we've got Die Hard 1 and 2 that are worthy of being in the franchise. John McClane, NYPD. On a good day, he's a great cop. You don't like me because I'm white. I don't like you because you're going to get me killed. On a bad day, he's the best there is. On May 19th, McClane is back. You got a triple A card? Bruce Willis, die hard. This time with a vengeance. Rated R. Was uh, putting on this character like wearing an old shoe again? Well, in, in some respects, yeah. I, I kind of, I didn't have to go and spend long hours puzzling out how am I going to play this character, you know. We, we created some, some, some new circumstances for him. We, we started him off at a, at a, at a very uh, low point that he um, is estranged from his wife. Doesn't, excuse me, doesn't see his kids. Uh, drinks way too much, been suspended from the police force. And on the day we find him, he has a very bad headache. Are you any different physically today than you were uh, eight years ago when you first did Die Hard? I'm much older, much older, much more fragile. The bones are going, the knees are shot. You sprained your off. ankle or sprained anything? The left is not crisp anymore. Did no, I, I almost got killed in this movie in, 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 uh, in Die Hard 3. I almost fell to my death. Seriously. Has that ever happened before? You almost got hurt? Or have you ever yeah, been Yeah, I've almost been killed a few times, never on a film before. Uh, I almost drowned a couple years ago. Um, Ugh, that's scary. Doing some uh, whitewater rafting. Uh, but you can only die once, right? Well, except for that final 10 minutes feeling very tacked on, Die Hard 3 is one of my favorite 90s action movies. In fact, it's just one of my favorite action movies, period. I'm going to give Die Hard with a Vengeance an A-. It's under attention to the third movie, which was Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was released in 1995. So for this one, Detective John McClane is now divorced, an alcoholic, and jobless. I tell you, that's uh, not the best. Uh, after getting fired for his reckless behaviour and bad attitude, he is called into action, however, when a cryptic terrorist, played by Jeremy Irons, takes New York City hostage in a lethal game of Simon Says and refuses to speak with anyone but McLean. Teaming up with a street-savvy electrician named Zeus Carver, played by Samuel L. Jackson, McLean dashes through the city trying to stay one step ahead of a murderous plot. So this movie was the highest grossing in the series yet. It grossed $366 million worldwide. It was the number one grossing movie of 1995. Now, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 59% score, so that is down on Die Hard 2. Uh, the critics on IMDb have it at 58 out of 100 on the meta score there so again that's down um audience score on rotten tomatoes is 83 percent, so that's actually 13 percent up on die hard 2 and on imdb the audience rating there is 7.6 out of 10 and that is um 0.5 up on die hard 2 and as a summary die hard with a vengeance gets off to a fast start and benefits from bruce willis and samuel l jackson's barbed interplay 
but clatters to a bombastic finish in a vain effort to cover over for an overall lack of fresh ideas. Uh, so, Luke, I'm going to go to you this time. Um, what do you think of Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third one, which had Samuel L. Jackson? I think it was it was all right. I think it was really trying to recreate um, the how well they'd done with the first movie mm-hmm. and like trying to bring uh, Hans Gruber's brother, um, trying to revive that sort of character. And um, I really think that Samuel Jackson done really well playing, uh, what was his name? Zeus. Uh, yeah, I really like that chemistry between him and John McClane. And um, I'm quite surprised with the the Rotten Tomatoes score. I thought I'd be a bit lower. Oh, really? That, yeah, with the audience one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think it was it was all right. I don't think I'd watch it again, though. Okay. Roscoe? I completely agree with uh, which is what Luke said. I, I think it's probably about a two halves. And the plus is the strength is the the interplay between John McClane and, and Samuel Jackson's character. That works pretty well. And obviously you've got the, the games that they're playing as well, so there's a bit of tension in that. But the the downside is the and Jerry Mans is a brilliant actor and I've seen him in loads of other stuff. He is a brilliant actor, but it's just woeful as a as a, a villain and obviously shoehorning in that it's uh, uh his Hans Gruber Hans Gruber uh, Gruber's uh, brother. Yeah, he maybe just that you were saying Stephen around the lack of ideas. I just think that was that this was the kind of the beginning and the end, I think, for any sort of ideas of future diehard films were Pretty, pretty poor, and at the end he just went a bit. I know, I mean, I know the first two of are, 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 they are uh, far fetched to a point, but I thought they towards the end of this one it just got a bit, started to get a bit ridiculous, and that probably just moved on to the to, to the, other, the other two films as well. So, all in all, pretty average, and it's really saved by Samuel Jackson and and uh, Bruce Willis, I think. Where, where did you first see it, Ross? Where did I see it? Uh, good question. I think I've seen the pictures. I think it was 95, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. 95. Was it a 15, was it? I think so, yeah. Potentially, I would have been 15, 16 by that point. So, yeah, probably seen it in the pictures. Uh, if not, it would have been on video. Um, so, one of the two. I, ca- I can't yeah. mean seeing it in the pictures. It made such uh, a strong impression. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the <laughs> ones. I probably enjoyed it more at the time. But since watching it, about like two of... Probably, but I, I think it's a purer film than, than two by uh, quite a quite a bit. Yeah, for me now, I watched this on TV. Um, and I can't believe I missed it at the cinema uh, since I was such a big fan of Die Hard one and two. <clears throat> but um, I kind of take the opposing view, you, you Ross. I think it's a great movie and it actually gets better with age. I thought it was great to have director John McTiernan back and he does a great job here. I think it's nice that uh, McLean's not confined to a single location this time round. He's going all over uh, New York City. I think the plot is clever, and you have an excellent build-up to the actual crime, the robbery uh, of stealing the the gold. Uh, I think, yeah, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson are a great double act. They're very funny together. And there's actually a a lot of humour throughout the movie, I think, with McLean's interactions with, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson but also with his police colleagues and with uh, with Simon, the bad guy. 
I think Jeremy Irons is the second best villain in the series, uh, and I love the way he struts around. Uh, although, yes, he's, he's, he's certainly not on par with, with, with Hans Gruber, that's for sure. Uh, and then a couple of interesting facts, guys. Did you know that the script was uh, actually intended for a film called Simon Says? And it was actually going to be Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee. It was going to be a vehicle for him. And the character of Zeus was actually written with uh, an actress in mind. Uh, and what then happened is Warner Bros. bought the script and then they wanted to rewrite it as a Lethal Weapon sequel. So that didn't happen because Warner Bros. put the script in turnaround. Then Fox purchased it and they rewrote it as a Die Hard film. So it was a long way to get to, to be a diehard movie. And do you know who was originally offered the part of uh, Zeus Carver? Anybody know? Yep. Who was it, Davey? No, I don't know. Oh, you don't? It Davey was. Murphy? No, it was Lawrence Fishburne. He was officially, oh. yeah, he was officially offered it, uh, but he was haggling over his fee. And what then happened is Bruce Willis and uh, whoever was the producer of Die Hard 3 were at the Cannes Film Festival and they seen Pulp Fiction. And Samuel L. Jackson was there and their producers went, you've got the role, come on, <laughs> come and be in the movie. So what happened is Lawrence Fishburne then sued the producer um, and won some, some money because uh, they'd had a verbal agreement that he was going to be in the movie. <clears throat> I'm sure Lawrence Fishburne would have been good, but this role was made for Samuel L. Jackson, wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Davey, what do you think about the movie? Oh, Samuel L. Jackson is on top form in this movie. Um, I don't really know when it sits in his career, because I've never looked at um, but I imagine it's probably pretty early on in his career, because it's like 1995, isn't it? Yeah, I think Pulp Fiction was his. Yeah, Pulp Fiction was ninety four. That was his big breakthrough, wasn't it? Pulp Fiction. Spike Lee movies, and he's always like stand out and like do the right thing. And time to kill, as Ross says. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that as I say, I like I see us on this in a like a cinema on a ferry going to France. Me and my cousin had a few hours to go, and that was all we went in there. We absolutely loved it um we watched it now i can i can see why because uh, again you've got john mctiernan's come back and so much better at directing movies than Lenny highland um they seem a lot more real realistic um, they're certainly not over the top or like panto hammy-esque um where the dynamic between uh john mclean and zeus uh it just brings on so much. It's it's so funny, but also kind of talks about um, black and white culture at the time and how both mistrust mistrust each other, um, which is well, still to this day I think it would be in. But how they can how they can get get past the differences to do what they need to do. I mean, even like at the the at the start, just to get Samuel L. Jackson to come along, he has to lie to him to tell him where the the bomb is, uh, saying it's in a black neighbourhood, so he'll keep be coming, rather than when it really was they thought it was in a a, a Chinatown, and that's like he'd be like, all right, I'll him. But the way it talks on racial the the racial element of it is uh, it's really good the way that it highlights it at its time, but. 
the the film itself it, it seems a lot more realistic than um, Die Hard Two certainly. Um, <clears throat> it's it's one of these films that you can just me personally I I just love it the way the the dynamic between the two to them is and uh, Jeremy Irons I think is a great baddie. Um, <clears throat> the way they hark back to the Hans Gruber thing it's good and the way they set up all the like like the games to try and um take distract the NYPD in the end and how it how it works by them saying like the next game there's a school that's got to blow up and you don't know which one so they've obviously mobilised everyone to go and search for the bomb in the school and that just leaves uh, Jeremy Irons to do as uh, dastardly deeds in the Federal Reserve, Reserve Bank. Um, no, I think um, it, it's a great film. I, I really enjoy it. I'd say it's definitely ranked above uh, Die Hard 2 for me. Thanks, Davey. And last but not least, Paul. Yeah, I remember going to see it in the summer of 95 and it was funny because the Die Hard films were always quite, mm. previous to that, were quite, they were in winter and it was dark and whereas this one was like in the summer and it was light so it was quite different in that sense, the feel of the film and I don't think it's a great film and I think it was around this time, I suppose as well that Bruce Willis was massive at this time, you know, he'd just done Pulp Fiction the year before. I said Samuel Jackson, of course. I think they had a good on-screen chemistry, but it was almost like at this point, like when I think to the start of the film, where uh, John McLean's got hangover and stuff, it just almost, it's almost like a parody. It's almost like a Hail and Peace sketch or something, you know, like it just felt a bit formulaic and, yeah, just not very good and uh, I didn't think I like Jeremy Irons as an actor but I didn't think I didn't like his his role in this and yeah just it felt like a long film as well and it was probably not that much longer than the other two but it felt a bit longer and yeah it just didn't I remember at the time it didn't feel like it belonged in the the Die Hard franchise, because it was quite different. But it was a, a product of its time, I suppose, yeah, because although Die Hard 2 was 1990, it's pretty much an 80s film, really. It's still, you know, it, you know, a lot of it probably still been filmed in 89, so whereas this one was, like, right in the middle of the 90s, so a lot of change since then, so it probably reflected that. But it's... It's not not a great film. It's uh, for me just kind of it's on that downward slope now, really. So okay, thanks, Paul. Uh, have any of you guys ever watched the original ending for the movie, which they they cut and they spent a lot of money doing a, an action-packed final uh, yeah. scene? Um, you, you've seen it just recently. What did you think of it compared to the? theatrical cut ending what did you think Luke I think it was the I'm not too sure I think the the ending that they went with was uh, probably the right choice because uh, I've only seen it uh, one time but I think it just makes the it is I don't think the ending 
that the main character played in the in the last ending really matched his character right. very well. But um, yeah, I don't think people would have uh, really enjoyed a a conversation um, more than a you know a big action explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, a big action scene. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else seen it? <clears throat> I think no. I, I can't remember it, but I think I would have had it on the, like the DVD extras years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically you've got um, what what's happened is McLean's been fired from his job, and he's back with Holly and his kids and everything, but got fired, he's cleaned up, he's not drinking anymore, and he's then went to track down the Jeremy Irons character, who's obviously gone off with the the gold, and they basically play Russian roulette with a bazooka. And uh, Jeremy Irons loses. And it was cut because the, I think the studio thought it made McLean look a little bit too cruel. And maybe it just wasn't action-packed enough uh, as the climax of the movie. But although it's a very cool scene. Uh, Davey, Ross, you guys seen it? I've not. I've, I've seen you posted it the other night. And I'm yeah. to watch it before we, we uh, came on here. But uh, I've never got around to it. Yeah, it's worth checking out. And for, for those listening, yeah, join our Facebook group. Uh, and you'll, you'll see that. We posted it there. So it plays with the original scene. Then it plays a second time with the writer of the movie. Uh, co- uh, providing commentary for it, which is pretty interesting, and I think you can safely say he prefers his original uh, written ending, <laughs> which was cut. All right, guys, let's uh, make the one, a... um, yeah, the one that not just while we're talking about it, the the one that I always like is the the Simon says when they do the the thing of filling up the bottles to get the, the oh yeah gallons. <laughs> it always takes me a wee while to work out how they've done that. Like I always need to go and like, like how does that work again? Like and then once yeah. you look at the mass, it, t- it takes me a while. But I think um, we had that in uh, when we did the crystal maze. One that was one of the things to get a crystal when we were down there, Steve yeah, and Bobby like that. Die hard, die hard, think die hard. <laughs> no. I think under, under time pressure, it went right out the window, didn't it? I think we would have been blown up, Davy. <laughs> okay, guys, let's go around and see. Uh, if uh, Die Hard with a, a Vengeance deserves to be in the series. So, Luke, I'm coming to you first. Yes or no? I think I would keep it as a Die Hard trilogy and then leave it at that and don't go any further, but which, which they did. Okay. And then we'll get on to that, but yeah. I don't think you're going to be along in that thinking, so we'll see. <laughs> yes, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant, Luke. Uh, no, not for me. Uh-oh. Okay, Paul? Yeah, I would keep it in. It's not a great film, but yeah, keep it in. Davy? Uh, oh, 100% keep it in. So, yeah, yes for me as well. So, Die Hard with a Vengeance uh, stays in. So, we've got ourselves a trilogy. Tri- we've got ourselves a trilogy. <laughs> What's a trilogy? We've got a trilogy as well. Loves live free or die hard. It's the best movie of the summer. Hey, time's over, sweetheart. Two thumbs up. Did you see that? Yes, I did it. It's a jaw-dropping summer blockbuster. <laughs> live free or die hard. Pg thirteen. Now playing. So here we are to talk here we about are talking about live free or die hard. Exactly. As if we had a choice. 
and we have this Eurocopter behind us here. I do see that. And so that's got to have something to do with live free or die hard. I don't not it doesn't have anything to do with live free or die hard. It's just a helicopter that I think they borrowed from Team America. Uh, <laughs> the movie. Uh, but I re it doesn't have anything to do with die hard. I mean there are helicopters in uh, live free or die hard, but they're not painted quite like this. You and you have them in freeway chases and things. I I saw it. It's good. It's yeah, good. There, there's there's some kind of chase. It's with a it's with a jet, not with a helicopter. But uh, oh well, yeah. There's a chase actually in uh, downtown D.C. But it's a military chopper bomb. Yeah. Okay. I don't think they can. I don't think the military paints the helicopters, uh, stars and stripes. Not not as of now. They're not. No. So. Not yet. Not yet. So Although him. there's a bill on the Senate floor, I'm told. And you're supporting it? No. No. No, I, I've given up on politics. Have you really? Politics broke my heart, Bob. Are you serious? Because No, I'm not serious. No. All right, let's get right to it. Our first movie is Live Free or Die Hard. This is the fourth installment in the franchise that catapulted Bruce Willis to stardom nearly 20 years ago. Now, I'd say John McClane is one of my three favorite rebel cops of the last 30 years, along with Dirty Harry Callahan and Lethal Weapons Martin Riggs. This isn't the best or the most exciting diehard, but it is a lot of fun. The bullet-headed Willis is in classic wise-cracking why-me form as he's once again thrust into the middle of a cataclysmic disaster. And that's Justin Long. He's kind of the go-to guy these days to play cynical, ultra-smart geeks. He's very good here. He plays Matt Farrell, a young computer hacker who unwittingly contributed to what is known as a fire sale. That's a multi-tiered breakdown of our computer-controlled world. The gorgeous and scary Maggie Q plays a kick-ass villain, but the chief bad guy is Timothy Oliphant's Thomas Gabriel. So let's move on to 2007 in Die Hard 4.0. So a 12-year gap. Uh, between movies here and in this one we have uh, well as it, as the, the US prepares to celebrate Independence Day veteran cop John McClane carries out another routine assignment bringing in a computer hacker played by Justin Long for questioning meanwhile a tech savvy villain named Tom Thomas Gabriel played by Timothy Oliphant launches an attack on America's computer infrastructure as chaos descends around him McLean must use old-fashioned methods to fight the high-tech threat. So this movie grossed $388 million worldwide. Now, bearing in mind, that is just a little bit more than Die Hard 3, which was 12 years prior. Um, it was the 12th highest-grossing movie of 2007. Uh, now, this is where I couldn't believe it. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics, it's got an 82% score which I just can't quite believe. Um, on IMDb, it's got a 69 out of 100 critic meta score. Uh, audience side of things, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 86% fresh. And on IMDb, 7.1 out of 10. Um, and as a summary, on the television show, Ebert and Roper, film critic Richard Roper and guest critic Catherine Tulich gave the film two thumbs up, with Roper stating that the film is... Not the best or the most exciting Die Hard, but it is a lot of fun, and that it is his favourite among the Die Hard sequels. Roper also remarked, Willis is in top form in his career-defining role. So I'm going to go straight to you, Ross, for your thoughts. Uh, so where did you see Die Hard 4.0, and what are your thoughts on it? 
Uh, so I seen it last week for the first time on wow. Disney Plus. Wow. Uh, to, to pretty much because I knew they were doing this podcast, so I knew I had to. It was one of the ones I, I was going to get around to watching, but I think the amount every time I asked somebody about about the film, it, would, it pretty much wasn't a great uh, review. So it probably just put you off and put you off. Um, so like yeah, so last week I watched it. It is, yeah, it's it's a probably toss up between that and the fifth one, but it probably is the purest, purest by quite a bit. I mean, it's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it's probably not that far away from being the worst. Um, and I'm quite surprised actually what you're saying there in terms of critics and 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 audience uh, reviews and very surprised. Um. I'm not surprised it done well at the box office because it's 12 years, isn't it? So there's an anticipation. But other than that, it just a film that talk about over the top. It just took it to another level. And I think once things become a bit over the top, they become a bit boring. Actually, so I actually find the film actually relatively boring in the main. And in it, its weakest thing is probably its villain. Is the most blandest villain that I think I've seen in a film probably ever. Um, and yeah, and it feels as if Bruce Willis is just kind of going through the motions, um, rather than I'm, I'm actually acting. Uh, so I kind of works towards it. Yeah, like you say, two-dimensional villains. And, and probably if there's a plus, it's probably a young guy that plays the computer uh, guy. Yeah, Justin um, I, I thought he was actually really good in that. So it's like anything, you always look for things that what. Is there anything good in it? Then I, I felt he was actually, I thought he was actually quite a good actor in it. And he was quite a believable character. He was quite good in it. Um, but the, uh, the film as a whole was just pretty bang average, wasn't it? He just expect more, I think, and spending maybe a bit more time in, on a script, which is really what, what they should have done, rather than concentrate too much on the action, which is maybe it's just a modern issue, maybe with films that they spend too much time on CGI rather than in character and, in, in funny scripts that are that, that are important as well. So, yeah, absolute um, pure film, absolute shocker. Okay, Ross, thank you, Paul. Yeah, I kind of agree a lot with what Ross is saying there. It, uh, I remember being quite excited when it came out. Couldn't see it in the cinema. I think at that time as well, because it's, I was quite surprised to know that it was the most successful at the box office of all the diehard films. But at that time, it was that sort of renaissance time, uh, like a lot of comebacks, because you had like Rambo, Rocky, Die Hard, uh, Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. Indiana Jones. So you had all these films coming out. So I think it probably, uh, that carried some of it, I think. And like we're saying, the 12 years uh, gap between that and the third one. But to be honest, for me, it might actually be the weakest out of all the films. And it's just quite boring. And the, some of the CGI is quite bad in it as well. And yeah, just kind of echo what Ross was saying. The, the baddie in it's a terrible, terrible baddie. He's not good in it at all. And uh, I thought uh, Elizabeth Winstead was quite good. Uh, Lucy McLean. Well, funny you liked like that part, Paul. But it's funny how she's changed since. And the McLean speaking. She's changed a lot in those years, and 
Uh, she, she is 20 years older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so it's, yeah, and just like uh, the guy calling him McLean all the time, it's just a bit like cheesy, really. It's like, does nobody ever call him John? It's like, it's got to be McLean all the time. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Paul. Uh, Luke, what about you? Um, I found it very, very boring because I just thought uh, pretty much is what the other two, um, Paul and Ross said. It just, I pretty much, pretty much get um, like the, the hour mark and then it just starts to feel like, oh, they, they went to two power plants and it's like, wait, this isn't the last battle. or um, And uh, it just, the villain as well, he, he seems quite whiny. When he's um, like he's not getting his own way and stuff, um, in the uh, when uh, John McLean's like taking out his guards and his plans and stuff, and um, uh, it's pretty much just a pretty rubbish movie. I think I would um, it's probably in the maybe top ten or top five worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But I do think that the fifth one is worse though. Because, um, yeah, and that's, I would never watch it again. That's all I've really got to say about it. So you're saying you didn't like it, Luke? Yeah. Okay. Very much. Do you have a, a one power plant only rule in your movies? No, two, it's not even that. Two, two, two is just going over the top? No, it's just um, how you have, it's just because they're two quite big action scenes and... Um, You'd normally like have like such a big action scene as in I don't know another good movie for example, but um it just it's two big action scenes back to back, and then you just sort of think, oh it's two back to back, yeah. Hmm. Okay, thanks for that, Luke. Um, Davies, you've surely you're going to come to the the rescue of Die Hard 4.0, aren't you? Um, you know what? Actually, I'm, I think. Um. Um, to be fair, I have only seen it twice. Uh, first time was in the cinema when it actually came out, and I'd say I enjoyed it as from what it was, um, without being anything brilliant. It was certainly it was more more comedic than previous Die Hard movies, and the comedy was good. Uh, Justin Long, like you're normally used to seeing him, things like Galaxy Quest and. Um, dodgeball playing an absolute dream, mm-hmm. so I, I thought his, his casting was actually quite good because you didn't expect that from him. But his his one-liners and his his interplay with John McLean, I, I I've quite enjoyed. To be fair, um, I think with the the film and it also features one of the all-time great set pieces which just makes you absolutely laugh out loud when you watch it when he sticks the car into the helicopter and you're like come on but actually go on that's actually brilliant <laughs> i really i really enjoyed that uh, that helicopter being taken down by that car <laughs> it was so over the top but it could, it could happen <laughs> davy it could happen well, it obviously did because that <laughs> car went into that helicopter, <laughs> and the stuntman fell out of the helicopter <laughs> and survived. And survived. So it, it's it's obviously possible in some realm. But uh, watching it again, uh, like I think it was it must have been last night or the night before, 
Uh, as soon as that happened, I just burst out laughing and went, actually, I, <laughs> that just saves the film, that, that, that one set piece there. <laughs> but, but to do, to uh, carry on, I think where it's get let down is when they, I think um, in television terms, when a program is caught, goes past its best, it's, it's, they say it's jumped the shark, based on when that's the moment in time when Happy Days went from being a good TV show to a bad TV show when the Fonz jumped a shark on his motorbike, and that's become the term for when something has passed its best, or oh, the show's jumped the shark. I think Die Hard 4 took it to the next level when John McClane jumped the fighter jet. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it went past, like, oh, come what are you doing here? That was real life, David. <laughs> <laughs> Getting chased for... That's, it just went a bit ridiculous. It went ridiculous there. Still, it was, it'll make you smile, but it's, it's just gone so far away from what it started off as. Yeah. It, it, like the, as the first hour, first hour or so of the film, the interplay between um, like Justin Long and uh, Bruce Willis, I thought it was brilliant. And it was a bit more um, edgy and it, it, it was funny and like. As I say, when I first saw that that car going to the helicopter, I was like, almost kind of cheering my seat, going, "Yeah, get in there, John McLean." Yeah. <laughs> then, then it just lets itself down at the end. Now, the the thing with um, the guy that falls out the helicopter onto the car survives. Now, the thing that you think about is, how did he get back to the base? Right, <laughs> he's obviously injured and he's wandering along a a freeway. Does he get a, a taxi or something? I mean, <laughs> is he carrying a wallet? I mean, <laughs> probably just done a John McLean and just <laughs> probably yeah, just stones one. Uh, yeah, my thoughts on it. Um, I I've seen this at the cinema on its original release in 2007, and I think it's a decent action movie. It's the first Die Hard movie in the UK to not be a 15 or 18. It was a 12A. Um, I do think it's over long, and I agree with what you guys have said. I think it loses steam as it progresses. I think it's uh, competently directed by Len Wiseman. I think the it do, actually does have a very timely, interesting story, the fire sale um, uh, story. Uh, I think there's some invent- inventive action scenes, <laughs> the jeep in the lift, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, car versus helicopter, yeah. Um, How long was that building that he drove that last year through? I mean, he must have gone through about six rooms before they got that element. Oh, yeah. That was great, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for me, I, I, I do feel Bruce Willis is actually engaged, and, and it still feels like John McClane in this one, whereas the sequel to this definitely doesn't. Uh, I think you guys have mentioned already, I think Bruce Willis and Justin Long make an amusing double act, uh, much like uh, the Samuel L. Jackson one. Uh, you've got the tech-savvy millennial and the old-school action hero. I think Maggie Q is a good female action villain. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is no Hans Gruber, uh, but he does have a couple of good snarky one-liners in there. I thought the whole thing with Kevin Smith's warlock was was funny. You know, these guys that you know are in their basements online giving themselves fancy names, you know, still living at home. Uh, so I found that amusing. Uh, it does miss a Michael Kamen score. Uh, he passed away, sadly, in, was it 2003 or five? So, obviously, uh, we don't get a Michael Kamen score this time. Uh, but overall, for me, in the grand scheme of things of the series, it does feel like a bit of a unnecessary epilogue. 
So let's go round everyone to see if we think it is deserving of being in the Die Hard series. So Luke, I'm going to come to you first. Does it deserve to be in the series? No. Uh oh. Ross. No. Uh oh. Davy. You know. Is it a pr- prime cut or is it awful? It's halfway in between, but I've got to say, well, we'll have to say no. It's, it, it nearly got there. Okay. Paul? No, no way should that be in. No. <laughs> That'll be a no then. Sure, no. And for me, uh, actually, it's an alright movie, but is it up to diehard standards? No. So, that's the first film of the, the Die Hard series that we don't think deserves to be in there. Does anybody know why they had a different title for the UK and the US? I think it was because it was meant to tie in with um, the 4th of July and Independence Day mm, in America when it came out. They released it, yeah. Mm. Although I believe the director and Bruce Willis did prefer Die Hard 4.0, and I think it is now officially referred to as Die, po- Die oh, Hard right, 4.0. Okay. Um, mm, yeah. From what I gather. Mm. Right. I had 4.0 in the Disney. Yep, definitely. Um, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, because I was trying to remember the, the name of the, the last one. I think, was it Live Free or Die Hard? And then I went, oh, it's a good day to Die Hard. I'm like, where did I get Live Free or Die Hard to come from? Nah, that's it. That, that explains it. That's it. The 007 of Plainfield, New Jersey. Experience it in IMAX February 14. This film is not yet rated. I think that I've learned more from the from the uh, films that I've done that have uh, not done so well that I. I, I think I learned more from those mistakes and, and what not to do and, and what works and what doesn't. Um, I think more and more with this character, I just try to keep it simpler. And, uh, and it seems to work. And I like the idea that through all five of these films, there, there's been a, a, a center of uh, some kind of family conflict, which gets that family drama and then family comedy out of it. Unsurprisingly, and it has to be said rather unfortunately, the equally nonsensically titled A Good Day to Die Hard continues down this route, with the seemingly indestructible John McClane defying death in even more preposterous ways. It opens with our hero heading to Russia to rescue his estranged son, Jack, who's ended up in jail while working as a spy. Cue a slew of predictable fish-out-of-water gags as John struggles to navigate his way through Moscow. Do you think I understand a word you're saying? Do you know what I hate about the Americans? Everything. Recently, Bruce Willis has said that people prefer the diehard stories when they have a familial element to them, so here we get some awkward father-son bonding. But let's be honest here, it's the action that gets people watching the diehard movies, and admittedly Die Hard 5, as everyone is going to end up calling it, has no shortage of carnage and destruction. Trouble is, in director John Moore's hands, this action gets confusing, and while a handful of stunts are truly spectacular, it does feel like they'd be more suited to a wily coyote cartoon than a believable action character. 
Right, guys, have you got your knives sharpened for the final movie? <laughs> A Good Day to Die Hard 2013, also known as The Franchise Color. Uh, so, yeah, Good Day to Die Hard 2013. In uh, this one, we've got New York City cop John McClane arriving in Moscow to track down his estranged son, who is Jack, played by Jay Courtney. McLean thinks his son is a criminal, so it comes as a shock when he learns that Jack is actually working undercover to protect Komarov, played by Sebastian Koch, Oops. a Russian government whistleblower. With their own lives on the line, McLean and Jack must overcome their differences in order to get Komarov to safety and thwart a potentially disastrous crime in the Chernobyl region. Now, this movie grossed $304 million worldwide. It was only the 24th highest grossing movie of 2013. The Rotten Tomatoes critic score. You want to have a guess, guys? Um, 34. 15%. So that is, um, yes. Uh, What is it using Rotten Tomatoes? It's either fresh or stale. Is it stale? Uh, so most definitely stale. Um, on IMDb, the critic score there, the meta score was 28 out of 100. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was down at 40%. And on IMDb, the audience rating was 5.3. So uh, those are all uh, significant drops based on the prior movies. And as a summary, A.O. Scott of the New York Times described A Good Day to Die Hard as a handful of extended set pieces, each more elaborate, and therefore somehow less exciting than the last, linked by a simple-minded plot and a handful of half-clever lines. Though complementing the special effects, he criticises the direction of John Moore, the lack of style, and writes that everything that made the first Die Hard memorable, the nuances of character, the political subtext, the cowboy wit, has been dumbed down or scrubbed away entirely. So, Davey, I'm going to come to you first for Die Hard 5. What did you think of it? And when and when did you first see it? Um, well, the first time I saw it was about two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I've never got around to seeing it before. Certainly never went to see it in the, the cinema. Um, it reminds me of that scene in uh, is it The Muppets Christmas Carol, where they just lambast. It. It's like, it was terrible, it was horrible, it was, it was short, I mean, I loved it. Mm. <laughs> That's the best thing about it, it was 98 minutes long, and it's a, saved a half hour of my life that I would normally have to give to one of these movies, because they're always two other, uh, over two hours. Um, the premise seems a bit ridiculous, just walk up to <laughs> Moscow and find this courthouse where his son's in and it's all just going to blow up and he's going to ruin everything by stopping his son's car and or van to get away van. It's just... Oh, I, I just don't know what to say about it. It's just, like, come so far from where we first started. Um, I don't know how often he needs to say... I'm on vacation oh, before he get a laugh. I mean, don't get me sorry, started. Even, that was just that doing my head in. That wasn't funny the first time, mate. Yeah. Um, no matter how many times you say you're on vacation, I'm going to go, oh, what, what a great one line from, from John McLean. Yeah. Um, the, 
double crossed is just like uh it's not that you can see it coming, you're just like, oh, this isn't even worth my time, it's a twist in the storyline. And then, lo and behold, let's just turn up to Chernobyl with no, <laughs> no form of protection whatsoever, and then just cut about there. Uh, I think they had a plot point where he sprayed some stuff that made it absolutely the, the radiation disappear, which I'm sure if that was true, they would have done it a long, long time ago. And then they end up falling into this, what you can only assume is uh, radioactive water, but he said, no, no, that, that's just rainwater. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. We've saved ourselves by diving in this pool. And uh, the twist is, you finally called me dad. Ah. Uh... No. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Davy, not a fan. Luke, what did you think of this? I think it seemed a bit like um, Sharknado. A little bit. Um, Sharknado is a lot better than this. <laughs> but um, yeah, just I think it felt a lot less of a, a blockbuster movie, more of like a, a TV movie yeah. that you probably see and yeah. turn on for a little bit. And then um, I think it just loses the the character of John McClane. I just look at. I think um, if it was just a standalone movie and they didn't have him in it I think it would be a little bit better but probably not a lot and um, I do think it is the probably the weakest in the series just because it is there's not much character development it's just pretty much just cars getting run over for 20 minutes and then um, I don't really know what else to say I don't think I even really finished watching it. <laughs> I, but, think, um, I think you said, Luke, um, when you were watching it, you went, Luke, this doesn't feel like a Die Hard movie. Yeah. Um, it yeah. Yeah. I just, it didn't, because I don't really get the sun either. I don't really understand that. I, if, yeah, I don't know. And I think you also said it looks like a cheap movie Granny would watch in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Or Grandad. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, thanks, Luke. Let the hate continue, Ross. Go. I love it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Definitely not. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, the probably the things that can kind of keep in mind. I mean, I think it's marginally better than the fourth one, probably based on the villains are a bit more believable, a bit more convincing. But yeah, the things I can kind of noticed was. Probably, probably in the first half an hour of the film, it feels as if it was trying to be a bit like a Bourne film, Bourne Identity, in terms of the camera shots and, yeah, you know, just yeah. it just felt as if, yeah, it's like part, subpar a uh, 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 Bourne, uh, a Jason Bourne film. Um, so I, f- I felt with that, and then the lackey police, I mean, the I mean, absolute carnage in the ring road in M- Moscow, where was the police? <laughs> I mean, they were, they were nowhere. Um, aye, uh, it's a bit over the top. I mean, there was just some of that stuff was just way over the top. But it felt as if it was going a, a step, step further. Um, but I think Davy had mentioned around that it was shorter, so that that definitely was a plus over the fourth one. Not 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 much more that more to say than that. And I thought the guy that played the son was, I thought he was relatively all right actually. I think he was necessarily terrible, but 
the film just needed a better, needed a better script. It just, it probably could have been a decent film if it just had been made, made better. I think that's what you just do. You don't, you realise Die Hard is not just about it's got a brilliant script and and it's got brilliant characters and cameos, but it's a really well made film, and it still is a really well made film. And don't underestimate that. And I think I've not really done that. And oh, I think that probably after two, really, that the films haven't really been the great made films, but this one's. Yeah, it's just—it's almost a bit like it's just pointless. I mean, why, why, why are we watching this film? Why, why have you made this film? I mean, it's completely, completely pointless. And like you see, Stephen, if it does kill the franchise, then great. That's maybe that's a plus. So yeah, a bit of a hunker. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the the whole try to be a born movie, the whole shaky cam thing. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's there's, there's really. Not much else you can say about it. Um, Paul? I remember before, just before it came out, I, I used to get it like, uh, when I was at uh, cinema, you got like a movie magazine there with upcoming films, and I remember seeing this. Like, I didn't even realise they were making a new, new Die Hard film. So it was almost like it was quite low-key almost when it came out. Probably because I didn't have that big expectation of it. So I thought it was okay, but like we were saying, I, I just, I don't know, it might be because of the, the duration time as well, but it just felt like I preferred it to the fourth one, and it might be just purely the time difference. And I do get what you're saying. It is a bit like the way it's filmed is a bit like Jason Bourne, you know, how... Uh, it's quite dark the way it's filmed and stuff, so it is a bit like a bit like that. And the guy that plays his son, that's another one, yeah, McLean, and he's in a van and he's saying McLean all the time, and he just happens to bump into his son in Moscow, <laughs> as you do. Uh, and I mean, the son's actually he's an Australian actor, so I think his son's a good actor. The son in it's a good actor, but yeah, it's just a bit cliched. Uh, but. It's better than the fourth one, so I think that's that's the only thing I can take from it. But a sad end to the well, what we think is the end to the franchise, really. Yeah. Uh, but yes, thank you for that, Paul. Uh, for me, uh, I, I was very excited for this movie because you know it was from the, the the director of video game adaption Max Payne and the remakes of Flight of the Phoenix and The Omen. I mean, <laughs> why why would you not be excited? Uh, heavy sarcasm there. Um, <laughs> I said what? <laughs> Heavy sarcasm. Um, I've never seen it once before. Avoided it at the cinema based on the trailers and the reviews. Uh, so I eventually seen it on streaming and hate, hated it. I really hated it. It actually made me angry. Uh, maybe, maybe not up to the level of Alien uh, Covenant angry, but angry nevertheless. It's a die-hard movie in name only. It should have been called Die Slowly, the Bruce Willis pension plan. It's a boring, generic action movie. It's dreary looking. I think there's bad cinematography there. I think it makes Die Hard 4 look like a classic. I think Bruce Willis sleepwalks through it. It really, really sleepwalks through it. Um... I think the humour in it is lame. I think McLean's one-liners fall flat. Um, as I think uh, you know, Davies said, how many times does McLean say he's on vacation? And it never raises a laugh once. 
it's a weak story. Everything seems set up just to blow up. Um, it actually feels more like a computer game than a movie. Uh, we've gone from Hans Gruber to forgettable generic Russian villains. Uh, we've gone from office workers, airline passengers and the citizens of New York being in peril to having to care about something related to national security. Um, it's only 90 minutes long, which is merciful, but actually does feel longer. Uh, in summary, re-watching it again, it was just as poor as I remember it being. And yeah, it's not a diehard movie for me. Not a diehard movie. So guys, we'll go around and decide if this should be part of the franchise. I think I know what the answer to this is going to be. So I will kick us off uh, this time and say no, it should be nowhere near uh, the diehard franchise. Uh-oh. Ross? No. Luke? No chance. Uh-oh. Paul? No. Uh-oh. Davey? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Uh-oh. Alrighty. So, after all that, we have uh, 1, 2, and 3 making it, and 4 and 5 have been erased from history, if only. So I'll maybe just go down before we finish up, guys, and just get your your ranking of these movies. Um, I'll maybe kick us off. So it's nice and easy for me. I basically have them in the order of release, one through to five. I think we start off with the best, and uh, I'm big fans of two and three as well. But I think in in terms of enjoyment, that the the kind of go down down the way, one, two, three, four, and five. What about you, Ross? Yes, that I think. Yeah, I mean the first is clear, clearly um, way ahead of the, the others. An absolute classic, and yeah, after that the quality just maybe not not hugely, but just gradually fall, falls by the wayside. And uh, and if you if I'm really honest, I think it's sure just been a standalone film on its own, um, and probably being cherished even more. But we know that doesn't happen when it comes to action films. So uh, yeah. So in terms of that, totally, totally agree. One, two, three, four. No fact. Sorry, no. Disagree. One, two, three, five, and four. I think four was was the worst of the lot. Probably based on the villain. Okay, five for us, Davy. Um, I think uh, one and two make a great double bill on Christmas Eve. Yep. Um, and this is probably one the second or third time I've done it. Uh, I think the only other time I've watched uh, Die Hard 2 on Christmas Eve is when you forced me to watch it <laughs> uh, on like the, the 5th of December at your house went, this is not how it works, Steve. <laughs> it's a Christmas Eve movie. <laughs> so you pretty much threw my Christmas at you. But no, I would say um, for, my, for myself, I would go 1, 3, 2, and then 4, and uh, I don't think the other one happened, did it? No, there wasn't a part 5, was there? <laughs> Alright, uh, Luke? I would probably say the, the order it came out. Okay. And I think... Um, I don't think I would really ever watch the last four again. I think um, at Christmas Eve, or like around Christmas time, I would only really watch the... Uh, the first one, and I'll really try and forget the the other four. You're very um, harsh, Luke. <laughs> I know it's just 
you know, it should have been a standalone film. If it was a standalone film, it would have been much better. Simon says you're misbehaving. Okay, thank you, Luke. Uh, Paul? Yeah, so I would have uh, five first, four second. No, I'm joking. Uh, that would be uh, one, two, three, five, four. So the first three in order, and then the fifth one would be the, the fourth, and then the bottom of the pile would be the fourth one for me, even though it's the highest grossing one out of them all. That's the purest one. Yeah. Simon says it's time to put our gun in the holster and go home. So, if you want to join the discussions about movies and Die Hard, join our Facebook group and uh, get involved. Uh, you Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and get notified when a new episode is available. New episodes will be dropping monthly and you can look forward to next month listening to our Home Alone series episode followed by the four Jaws movies the month after so look forward to recording those ones and re-watching Jaws the Revenge for the first time in 40 years or something like that <laughs> um, so thank you to all our guests this evening so Luke, Davy, and Ross uh, and I wish uh, Luke and Davy a speedy recovery from, from COVID as well and any final things you want to say Paul before we wind up no th- thanks for Luke, Davy and Ross giving their time tonight as well and uh, no, thank you for sharing this, these experiences of these films and hope people enjoy it absolutely yeah so thanks to you for listening so, uh, I think we're all going to go now and watch the Man United v Burnley game, which has just started this second. So how about that for good timing? So um, take care and goodbye. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought me some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm And the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you'd love me so Let it snow, let it snow and snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really grab me tight 
All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Who said we were terrorists? 